Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I think we need to understand a lot of times in life there's nuance. But sometimes in a fight like this, guys, there isn't. There is a good side and there is a bad side. This is a black and white decision. Re-electing Joe Biden in 2024 means the continuation of American democracy. And the re-election of Donald Trump means the end of it. It is that simple, everybody. And I know we don't like binary choices, but here we are. And I need you to do everything you can to keep that in mind and to let your friends and your family and your colleagues and everybody in America know what the stakes are. It's not just you and me. It's our kids. It's our grandkids. It's the future of what we want America to be. I'll tell you this, guys. I don't know what happens when Joe Biden gets reelected, but it gives us opportunities. It gives us choices to decide how America continues. If Donald Trump gets reelected, that's taken away from all of us, and we will enter a period none of us even want to imagine. And so I want to say thank you to you, not only for all you've done and all you're doing, but all we will do together in the next 12 months. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Trig Vielsen, Senior Advisor to The Lincoln Project and President of Viking Strategies, LLC, a Washington, D.C.-based public affairs and political consulting firm. Trigvi, welcome back. Thanks, Reed. Once again, I'm also joined by Jeff Timmer, also a Senior Advisor to The Lincoln Project, former Executive Director of the Michigan Republican Party, and host of A Republic If You Can Keep It available wherever your favorite podcasts are found. Jeff, welcome back. Thanks, Reed. Listen and subscribe to the podcast. So, guys, I was thinking about this as we're recording this on Monday the 23rd. I was thinking about this quote from George S. Patton, famed general in the U.S. Army during World War II, which was, lead, follow, or get out of the way. It's been used in God knows how many commercials and, you know, marketing campaigns. But at its heart, what he was saying is, I'm a loyal soldier. I'll do what you need me to do. But you got to decide how you want this to go. Tell me where to go. Let me go and you follow. Or just get out of the way and I'll figure it out. And I feel like right now, the Republican Party and Donald Trump want to lead us only to oblivion. They will only follow him and no one else into said oblivion. And the only way to get past them is probably to push them out of the way. Jeff, what do you think? I love the quote because it's perfect for what's happening right now, most notably with the Republicans in the U.S. House. It's the most visible evidence we have of what the Republican Party has become. And make no mistake, this is a feature, not a bug of the current Republican Party. This kind of chaos, this stalemate, this gridlock of leadership, of governing, it's not a mistake. It's not happening by happenstance, it is because this is what the Republican voters have asked for. Their representatives in Washington are giving them the chaos that they've voted for. And so from their perspective, this isn't bad from their voters' perspective. From normal, sane America, there are more of us than there are of them. You know, we look at this and think, what the hell? But they're looking at this and thinking, aha, you know, we're finally draining the swamp. We're giving it to the man. That's how I see it. Trigby, to that point, why are we eight years into the Trumpocene era 
And this has now reached, I don't want to call it a, a logical conclusion, but an unsurprising conclusion for those of us who've been studying this for as long as we have, that it was, you know, they couldn't quite find their Thelma and Louise moment over the debt ceiling last spring, right? Because McCarthy, you know, the president outwitted and outmaneuvered McCarthy and McConnell was always going to go along with raising the debt ceiling. And now, you know, these nine goons, right, none of whom have anything really in common other than the fact that they're either, you know, super Trumpy or they all hate McCarthy for a variety of reasons, have now led us to the same place. It's chaos. It's stasis. In a time when the world is increasingly dynamic and the United States as its leader, or at least the leader of the free world, needs to be dynamic along with it. Here's the thing. To some degree, what we're seeing, it is nine people that precipitated this, but it's a culmination of trends that have been out there and that people should have been seeing for a long time. Like This goes back to you know when Kevin McCarthy wanted to be speaker the first time and then he had to pull out at the last minute because he had some indiscretions or rumored indiscretions. You know, the only one who could get to the majority was Paul Ryan, right? After Boehner. McCarthy took 15 votes and had to sell his soul to get there. And the truth of the matter is appeasing doesn't work when dealing with autocratic forces. And, you know, for some reason, humanity keeps forgetting that. We didn't learn it when Neville Chamberlain did it, and look at where that ended. It's not going to be any different with Putin, and it isn't any different with the autocratic forces that we have here, and they play the long game and keep coming because they have no shame. And so I'm not sure if we all shouldn't have known that we were going to end up getting here. I think we've talked in the past that we were likely to get here, and as you like to say, Reed, it, it gets old being right so often, but like we have kind of a unique understanding of what is going on with the party and and sort of with these forces. So, you know, I'm not surprised that we're here. I think it's about a lot more than just those nine guys. I mean, the nine people precipitated what we're seeing, but the truth of the matter is the Republican Party is a coalition of people that don't really want to be in coalition with each other for any other reason. And the only reason they stay in coalition is because there are a bunch of people who want power, whether they're Matt Gates and what's her name from South Carolina, Nancy Mace, or they're the so-called moderate problem solvers. None of them are willing to put their own career at risk for doing what's right. But Jeff, you know, as we're recording this, there's now nine members of the Republican conference deciding they're all going to throw their name in the hat. I guess at this point, what difference does it make, right? Only one of them, Tom Emmer, voted to certify the vote for Joe Biden on January 6, 2020. But let's be clear, he's not clean either because he also signed the amicus brief that that crazy attorney general down in Texas, Ken Paxton, put forth to the Supreme Court to try and disqualify Pennsylvania's electoral votes. So, you know, I had Joe Walsh on the show last week and he said, remember, Reed, and it's one of these things we always need to be reminded, it's his party. It's always going to be his party. So why should we be surprised? But also, why should we believe that anybody who wasn't on board with January 6th or the, the actions that precipitated it or the actions that came after are going to have any chance of actually being a Republican speaker? We have to remember that that amicus brief, two-thirds of the House Republicans signed on to that. And that was to nullify the electoral votes in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and one other state. And so they didn't go so far as to 
vote against certification of the election when it came before them, but they were willing to urge the Supreme Court of the United States to nullify the votes. So if we're just kind of splitting hairs of, about how much are they willing to overturn a free and fair election, I'm willing to overturn one, just not as much as you are. The nuance here is autocratic. I mean, that's what it all points to. They, these are all people, all nine of them, who don't believe in free and fair elections, but that they're representative of two-thirds of that caucus. And the ones who didn't sign the amicus brief or vote not to certify, there's no chance. I mean, they're, they're, they represent a small faction that's left of what was once a political party and is now just a political gang that is looking to seize power uh, and break store windows in the process if you don't pay them, you know, protection money. So, you know, Trigvi, Trump is their leader. And, you know, rather than telling them to get in a room and figure it out, because that would be certainly in the best interest of the country, which he's never cared about, but also probably in his own best interests, he's out there screaming at the wind about judges and their staffs and, you know, the fact that Sidney the Kraken Powell and, uh, Kenneth Chesbrough, who were two of his attorneys who both pled guilty or pleaded guilty, I should say, in Georgia last week. He claims to know neither of them, right, which is always sort of his thing. He's got the greatest people until he fires them and then they're the worst people. You know, he's providing nothing to them. Nothing. Here's the thing is like he actually benefits from the chaos. The irony of all of this is the chaos causes all kinds of bigger problems. And who do they blame for the bigger problems? Like, who do they say when Israel isn't getting aid it needs, Ukraine isn't getting aid it needs, right? Like, because they stand for nothing, they can change at any point. So I'm not sure in Trump's case, A, that he could actually get the 220 members of the Republican caucus in a room and say, I want X as speaker and make it happen. Because if he could, he'd probably be telling him to elect himself speaker. Well, and he did that with Jim Jordan, and they said no. Yeah, they did. And when they had a secret ballot, what, Jim Jordan got like 90 votes, right? Like, no one really wanted him. The reality is, at the end of the day, you know, you would like to think, with all that's going on in the world, like serious, serious problems, that there would be 20 Republican adults who would say, you know what, this democracy thing is called the Great Compromise, because sometimes you have to compromise. Let's find some Democrats and get to 218 and reopen the house and have, you know, we'll each take half of what we need. You know, because the longer this goes on, the more it benefits Trump, quite honestly. I mean, if you think about it, the American legislative system was designed to not be fast, to be inefficient, right? Because we didn't like the whole idea of overarching government. And the truth is, is that in the context of the next 14 months, Jeff, you got to pass some budget bills. You got to pass aid to Ukraine and Israel. And I'm sure there are ministerial things that need to happen in the U.S. House to keep things moving. But the truth is that you could make an argument like Trigvi laid out that with 200 and whatever it is, you know, 12 Democrats and 20 Republicans, you just say, OK, look, you can have Jeffries as speaker, but here's the deal. You're going to make this promise. We're not going to vote for with you on everything. Right. They just have to accept that. But also, like you guys are going to leave the social stuff, the big ticket stuff to voters next fall. And you would think that that would be a good deal for everybody because the, the problem solvers, so-called problem solvers, you know, they've been playing Frogger for a long time, right? And eventually the car squashes the frog. 
they're going to have to make a decision. And they're in a no, they're in the Kobayashi Maru. I'm going to keep using no-win situations here that I can find from video games and movies. But like they've got to make a decision which way they want to go. Well, that makes way too much sense for it to ever happen in today's political climate. We can sit here and talk about this in theory, that this is what grown-ups would do. This is what serious people who are, they can be fierce partisans, but they're willing to come together and govern. That's what they would do. We don't live in that time. You know, it would take at least five Republicans to do this. Right now, there aren't five who are willing to commit that kind of political suicide that they would be effectively announcing they're not running for re-election or they're ready to lose their next primary. And there's just none of them who have that much courage at this point, because that's what it would really take. Remember three weeks ago, the House passed this 45-day continuing resolution. That's what cost Kevin McCarthy his job and set all of this in motion. We're now like three weeks away from government shutting down again, where we're going to be right back where we were in September. The House gives no indication that they're going to be able to put forth this magical unicorn candidate who can get to 217 votes right now out of the House Republican caucus. And so what is going to happen in 24 days when each week we come back and do this Groundhog Day repeat of who's it going to be this week who we trot out onto the floor? You know, it was Steve Scalise, and then it was Jordan, might be Tom Emmer. Uh, well, Trump's already said that, you know, he's not supporting Tom Emmer. Seems like that's going to doom Tom Emmer from ever getting to 217. And then, you know, next week we'll come back and do it all again. And the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that, how do we function? I don't know. At a time when there's a major war going on in the Middle East and in Europe. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo. Modern management made simple. So let's talk about the forgotten men and women, Trigvi, who are running for president. And I put that in air quotes, you know, against Donald Trump. So you've got the House in chaos or the Republican members of the House in chaos. You've got Trump really being as Trumpy as he's been in a long, long time. And then you've got these other people who are pretending like they still matter. And anybody still cares what they think about anything. There was a story in the New York Times about the fact that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are, you know, dropping negative ads on each other. And like they're responding in kind as if any of it matters. Like, why waste the newsprint? Well, and they're all kind of living in the same prisoner's dilemma that they had in 16, right? If I can just get one on one with Trump, I can win. But it isn't going to happen. I think, honestly, there's a part of me that just wonders about the psychology of these people. I was reading a story about Mike Pence. Like, Mike Pence is now, he used to be vice president. I think he sees his president looking back at him in the mirror or when he's talking to mother late at night. But the reality is he literally is throwing out coins at high school football games and going to the pizza ranch in Iowa where 16 people is all that showed up for him. Like, can you imagine? But Jeff, that's the point is I was talking to someone earlier today and a friend of ours who went to see 
DeSantis in person in South Carolina. They actually wanted to go have a look at him. And they said, if you think he's bad on video, wait till you see him in person. It's even worse. And they said, you know, you say you're so much better than Donald Trump, but Donald Trump's going to be, if Donald Trump's going to be the nominee, what are you going to do? And the guy said that the look on DeSantis's face was like he didn't, you know, it was like no one would have ever contemplated that that might be a question he was asked. I've said before that what we're watching like on the debate stage without Donald Trump is like watching the NIT basketball tournament. No one cares who wins. But I think that's doing a disservice to the National Invitation Tournament because at least they get on the court and play some interesting basketball, right? The teams that are out there care. These candidates are running these just god-awful, pathetic campaigns on top. They're not even putting a good game on the field. You know, I'm looking at this right now. I'm looking at this uh, Harvard-Harris poll that was released over the weekend that shows two head-to-heads. Trump against DeSantis. Trump 71, DeSantis 29. Trump 78, Nikki Haley 22. It doesn't matter whether there's a bajillion candidates in the race or whether there's one candidate in the race against Trump, he's going to eat them up, spit them out, and he's going to be the nominee. It's never mattered that there was no one consensus candidate. All the money in the world isn't going to beat Trump in today's Republican climate. It's what I said earlier about the House. This is what Republican voters want. They want Trump. They want chaos. They want the bombastic mean. They want the grievance. They want all of it. It's not something that there's a segment of the Republican electorate, the consumers out there, who are looking for another product to buy. That's mired in the 20%, and Trump's up near 80% in, in the Republican primary electorate. And that's just the reality. But in fairness, uh, here's the one thing, a point I'd like to make about this, and I think our listeners will find this interesting. You hear us at Lincoln Project talk about the Bannon line quite a bit. I mean, there is a substantial number of former, and you're looking at three of them, former Republican primary voters as late as 2016 who have just basically left the building. And that Bannon line is growing. But it's also true that they're constantly being fed message about, you know, discord in the world, that Joe Biden is Jimmy Carter again. Like that message has to be countered to those people because Donald Trump's not going to get taken out in a primary He's not going to get taken out by the legal system. The only way that this guy gets repudiated is in a general election. And the only way that's going to happen is if these former conservatives who have been on occasion placing democracy ahead of partisan self-interest and who of there are more of today than there were in 2020 when they carried the day by, I don't know, what, 60,000 votes in Michigan, 20,000 in Wisconsin similar number in Pennsylvania and Arizona, like that universe has grown, but they are constantly getting messaging. And there is a real fight for those people, whether they're going to go somewhere else, sit out because they're completely disillusioned with both, or whether they're going to keep voting for democracy. So, Rob, let's go ahead and play that clip from Fox News. It's a super cut gang of the one and only, I guess, thank God for that, Jesse Waters. Go ahead, Rob. Let's play it. Tonight, the world is on the brink and the White House is panicking because Joe Biden's president. The United States now sponsoring a double proxy war against the Iranians and the Russians. China's eyeing Taiwan and North Korean weapons were just discovered in Gaza. The State Department has just issued a worldwide travel warning to all countries 
When's the last time that's happened? Americans aren't even safe in France. Our enemies are being mobbed by angry Muslims. Our military bases are under attack in Iraq. And we just had to shoot down two Iranian-made missiles. How was your week? While this right now breaks, Putin is in China meeting with Xi, where they're coordinating Mideast policy. Two American carrier strike groups are in the Mediterranean, and Biden just tested one of our new nuclear weapons, detonating a massive bomb in Nevada. And we keep catching Middle Easterners sneaking across the secure southern border. Axios reports top officials say this has been the, quote, heaviest, most chilling week since Biden took office. The Biden administration is, quote, rattled, according to this report. Doesn't that make you feel safe? They say this matrix of crises pose an epic concern and historic danger. Washington fears these wars can spread. But have no fear. Last night, Joe Biden announced he's a wartime president. All right. So, Jeff, here's what we didn't hear. We didn't hear anything about Donald Trump. We didn't hear anything about a stolen 2020 election. We heard a whole bunch of bad news. Joe Biden bumbling and stumbling into World War III. But we didn't hear anything about the Republicans being good or better at this. To Trigvi's earlier point, it was all about discrediting and disqualifying Joe Biden with those very voters that Trigvi was talking about. We can't stress enough the importance of the siloed news that Americans are getting. There is a huge swath of largely older white voters, I mean, almost all exclusively older white voters who listen to Jesse Waters or Tucker Carlson or uh, Sean Hannity or whoever it is that are giving them this information, creating this warped sense of reality. I mean, you, you hear that and you think, oh my God, you know, life as we know it is at risk here. Batting down the hatches, uh, you know, they're, they're coming to our door all Jesse Waters is doing there is saying a bunch of people who don't look like us are coming to, you know, kill you and change your way of life because of Joe Biden's ineptness. You know, the, the White House is in panic. The worst week the White House has ever had, according to the White House, wherever he's getting that information. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable when you spend just a few moments listening to the nonsense that is being fed into the brains of our parents and grandparents out there. That message that he's sending, as you know, is targeted right at what we call Red Dawn conservatives. It's people like you and I. It's Gen Xers. It's the Wolverines, man. It's Reed, too, to a lesser degree because he's a little bit younger than us. No, but listen, nobody nobody liked Red Dawn more than me as a nine-year-old growing up in the Cold War. That's right. But here's the thing about it. The irony is Jesse Waters sounds like Democrats in the 70s talking, right? Like Joe Biden, honestly, it would be one thing if Joe Biden were acting like Jimmy Carter. But the truth of the matter is there's far more Ronald Reagan in the way that Biden has been approaching this than there is Jimmy Carter. For God's sakes, he's been aiding the Ukrainians. He's led NATO to unite, right? Like, He's leading in the Middle East. Now, is, are they being cautious to a degree because of the potential for escalation? Absolutely. And here's the further irony. People like Jesse Waters actually are so naive and stupid that they think if we're just nice to Putin and give him Ukraine, that suddenly he won't be all pals with Xi. 
Well, but that goes back to your whole idea of Neville Chamberlain, right? I mean, there's also the story, you know, as we're recording this out today from Rolling Stone, that Trump, you know, promises Jeff to pull out of NATO if he's reelected, right? Which is the Western alliance is more intact now than it's probably been since its founding. But a lot of this stuff, too, is, you know, something that Trigvi alluded to a little bit, Jeff, which is we set our own house on fire. It's your fault because you're not helping us put it out. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I wanted to just mention for a moment the speech that Joe Biden gave from the Oval Office the other night. That was as close to a Ronald Reagan speech as anything I've heard since Ronald Reagan was in the White House. I never heard that kind of, of tone even from George H.W. or George W. Bush. That's what I signed up for, was that kind of national security message coming from the Oval Office. And to liken Joe Biden in his messaging in any way to Jimmy Carter, that's just ridiculous. That's ludicrous to anybody who heard it. However, let's remember that not everybody heard it. Well, but also I think this is a couple of things. It's important, too, that we remember in authoritarian movements there can be no history and there can be no future. There has to be a history only of their own making and a future they don't want to talk about because they can't control it. So there has to be the fight for today. And so they don't want to talk about the idea that Trump is weak on everything. But also we should remember, too, Biden is Kennedy-esque, JFK-esque in his approach to foreign policy and maybe LBJ without Vietnam, right? He is not Carter. He is not Clinton. He is not Obama. He comes from a very old school of whether or not you call them communists, whether or not you call them authoritarians, whether you call it militant Islam, whatever it is, bad people must be stood up to, Trigby. And the thing is, is that so many Republicans are, one, ignorant of our own history, and secondly, that, you know, they're willing to go along with this idea that if we just gave Vladimir Putin what he wanted, everything would be fine. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing is that the distance between Joe Biden foreign policy and Ronald Reagan foreign policy is far less than the distance between Donald Trump and Reagan-esque foreign policy. And it's ironic because, um, you know, these people who are wrapping themselves in, we're going to make America great again. The irony is they're backing a guy who literally is destroying all of the institutions that have made America the exceptional nation. And when he's talking about things like, oh, I'm going to pull the United States out of NATO, basically going to end NATO, what that is ultimately a path to is a lot of dead Americans. And I can tell you, having spent a lot of time in Russia, former Soviet Union, and various places around the world that aren't so nice, but particularly Russia, if any of these people are so naive that they think that Vladimir Putin or those people from Hamas wouldn't be doing exactly what they did in Israel or in places around in Ukraine, in American cities, if they had the opportunity and the wherewithal to do it, they would do that. It's an absolute recipe for undoing everything that has made America great. In fact, what they really are doing is making America pathetic. Okay, let's zoom back into the great state of Michigan, Jeff. You were executive director of the Republican Party there years ago. You know, it is like Trigvi's home of Wisconsin, one of the bulwarks of American democracy in 2024, 
So give us a lay of the land of what's going on in the Wolverine and or Spartan state based on where you went to school. Well, I've, I've said before, when I look at the, the history of the Republican Party, there's been some very prominent leaders who've come out of the Republican Party who have Michigan ties. Clearly, Jerry Ford, George Romney, Mitt Romney, so many people over history who have that kind of pragmatic governing wing. John Engler, who's the longest serving governor in Michigan history, came from the clearly conservative but pragmatic governing wing of the Republican Party. And really, the party today, I've used this line before, I'll use it again. Uh, the arsenal of democracy has become the assembly line of its destruction when it comes to the Michigan Republican Party and the chaos that has descended here. Just in the last week, stories have come out here, and I, I don't want to get too in the weeds for our listeners across the country, but I think this is indicative of the rot, just the cancer that has infected the Republican Party. The, the guy, his name is Matt Hall. He's the leader of the State House Republicans, so the, the Kevin McCarthy of Lansing right now. The Republicans are in the minority. This guy is their leader. Stories have come out this week that back when he was in college, you know, it was a while ago, like nearly 20 years ago, but still he made death threats and was suspended from university because uh, he made racially tinged death threats telling a black guy that there's a bullet with your name on it and our kind doesn't take kindly to you people coming near our women. I mean, this is the guy who the Republicans in Lansing uh, have chosen as the guy who's, you know, he presented himself as the non-MAGA alternative. I mean, this is very bad guy out there who's, you know, got some headlines here that they, they don't necessarily make national headlines, but they've made some headlines here in the state. And it's just a, an example that this isn't a problem that's isolated to Washington. It's not just Donald Trump. The cancer has metastasized and it's spread to every cell in the body Republican. And uh, that's just the latest example of what's happening here. Well, and I guess I'm not surprised, right? This is not new. This is not new to racial politics in America. I guess, Jeff, it's not surprising, but it's also somehow heartbreaking that here now, you know, 160 years on from the end of the Civil War, 60 years on from the Civil Rights Movement, here we are back again where you know, in the United States, the two things from which all MAGA springs, as far as its behavior, are racism and anti-Semitism. And sometimes they're the same things and sometimes they're different, but it, those seem to be the seedlings from which so much of this stuff springs. Right. And, you know, to contrast this now, Michigan, uh, the, the Speaker of the House, the Democrats took control for the first time in a generation. The Speaker of the House is the first black Speaker of the House. You know, that's who is Governor Whitmer's governing partner in this, but she has to sit down and Joe Tate is the Speaker of the House. He has to sit down with this guy and somehow pretend that he's a serious counterpart in negotiations when it comes to a very closely divided House. I mean, how do you take people like this seriously? How do you deal with them in any serious fashion when they're just not serious people? There's this narrative that still exists out there. It's happening in the the speaker's race in Washington or is happening in this instances like this in Lansing, that there's somehow a Republican Party out there that isn't like this, that is this grown-up Republican Party that's interested in conservative, pragmatic governing like John Engler, who I mentioned uh, at the start of my rant a few minutes ago. Uh, but it's just not there anymore. It's ancient history and it's fable. 
we keep hearing story after story like this of rampant criminality. I mean, there's the Republican Speaker of the House, another former Republican, is salaciously uh, part of a bribery scandal. It's heading off to five years in federal prison as a result of a bribery scandal involving marijuana money and pay for play in, in Lansing. Uh, and so there's so many examples of Republicans in Michigan and across the country being charged with criminality and malfeasance and misconduct in office. And Trigvi, as we know from our research over at the Lincoln Democracy Institute, the two things that voters across party lines detest the most are corruption and incompetence. And I'm not saying the Republican Party has cornered the market on those things, but they're certainly making a good faith effort at it. They are. But I think what you have to keep in mind is the way we beat this back and that Waters piece is salient to this. That's all an attempt to create the idea of incompetence and corrupt, particularly incompetence, right? Directed at Joe Biden and Democrats. And to some degree, the one thing I hope, and it won't be with the hardcore MAGA and it isn't going to impact whether Donald Trump's the nominee, but the one thing I hope is, you know, to some degree, Republicans with this stuff with the speaker are showing themselves, and I think it's Brandon Bach, who is Paul Ryan's communications guy said this, they're demonstrating they're not really capable of governing. And well, the MAGAs may like it, and there are even some traditional conservatives who will go along with it. Every day that this goes on, there are more and more people that are out there as a potential pool to vote democracy first against a partisan self-interest, but there has to be constant communication to them, counter-messaging, what the Jesse Waters of the world are, because a lot of those people actually live in an ecosystem where they are watching some regular news, but they're also watching Jesse Waters. And that has to be countered. Well, and we will keep countering it. Okay, gentlemen, thank you as always for joining me. Before I let you go, Jeff, where can we find you on social media if you dare to tread there? You can find me on Twitter, or X as we like to call it now, at Jeff Timmer. That's the best place to find me, and uh, I'm there quite often. Trigvi, how about you? You can find me on X at Trigvi, T-R-Y-G-V-E Olson, O-L-S-O-N, and you can find me every Wednesday at 1 o'clock Central on the Civic Media app on the Todd Albaugh Show for an hour talking Wisconsin politics. And if it isn't me, it's usually one of you guys filling in. As always, gang, you can find me on, I'm still going to call it Twitter, at Reed Galen on threads and Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP and on Substack, the home front. Tune in, read, sign up, get it in your inbox. All right, everybody, Trigby, Jeff, thanks again, gentlemen, for joining me. And as always, everybody else, we will talk to you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.